This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so delighted you've joined me here tonight for this service of worship. My name is Hal Brady, and I welcome you. You know, Jesus said, Humankind shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from several places. We start with Acts chapter 16. Paul went on also to Derby and to Lystra, well, that was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystria and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. And now we read from Philippians. Would you hear this word of God from the second chapter? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know how like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. One other verse from the first chapter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. This is the word of God, and it's for all of us, the people of God, Join me, please, for a prayer. O oh God, your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and glory for all things. It's in your name. Amen. Shortly after becoming the pastor in one of my churches, I needed a haircut. So I went and found this building in which was located a barbershop. So I went in and went up to the counter and I said, Ma'am, I'd like to have a haircut. And she said, take a number. The interesting thing was, there was nobody else in the restaurant or in the barbershop. But she said, take a number. I looked around and said, take a number. But she was pretty certain. She said, take a number. So I took a number and sat down. After she had finished cutting my hair, I was sitting in the chair and water was running down my face. And she said, that's it. And I said, aren't you gonna dry my hair? She said, I will for three more dollars. Well, I walked out of that barbershop with a head full of wet hair, water dripping down my face. Now, that was a barber who had lost sight of the point. Take a number, take a number, take a number. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in procedures, we just handle procedures for procedures' sake. Without a person, 
without our, our government, without anything else, there would be no need for procedures. But sometimes we can get so involved in procedures, we just use procedures for procedures' sake. Beloved, people are important. Relationships are important. Most of us are, are where we are because of the actions and the words and the personal influences of other people. I know I am. Barbara Streisand sort of got this idea going years ago when she sang that song, People. You remember the first two lines? People who need people are the luckiest people in the world. So let's admit that we're not the independent, self-sufficient, powerful person that we sometimes seem to be. Let's stop kidding ourselves as we seek and think we can go it alone. First of all, we need each other. We need each other. When we come down to the end of life's trail, I want you to hear this. The most important thing are going to be the relationships. The relationships we have with God and other people. Those are going to be the key things when we come down to the end of our lives. Things are going to fade pretty fast. They're just not going to make a whole lot of difference. Career, career ladders, and jobs are not going to matter a whole lot either. Stanley Auerwise, in his book, Hannah's Child, states, I have written this memoir in an attempt to understand myself, something that would be impossible without my friends. I've had a wonderful life because I have wonderful friends. So this attempt to understand myself is not just about me, but about the friends who have made me who I am. It is strange that even though we have more advanced technological skills in terms of our relationships than ever before, yet there are so many, many people that are having problems identifying with other people. They're lonely and they're out of touch. As a matter of fact, they are out of touch in their relationships. Question, how many of our Facebook friends can we really count on to sit down and discuss the issues of life with us in person? How many of our Facebook friends will come in to help us when we're really in need? I'm talking about when I'm ill or when I have a flat tire out on the highway or when I've lost my job or when countless other emergencies are happening in my life. Now, don't think I'm criticizing Facebook friends because I'm not. I have a slew of them, and I love the online uh, relationships we have. It helps us to know more about each other. But I want us to understand that these Facebook friends are mostly acquaintances. There are people that maybe our friends know or others know, but they are our acquaintances. And that is important for us to understand. So what's my point? My point is we need a real friend, someone who's present, someone who's with us in our joys and sorrows and our aches and pains and our good times and our bad times. We need someone who cares. John Maxwell said he took a course in Psychology 101, and he had a professor by the name of Dr. David Van Hoos. And he said, Dr. Van Hoos said something in that course that he always remembered. He said, really and truly, you can only have one friend. He said, at most, you might have two, and that's very unusual. John Maxwell said he just didn't believe that. He was dumbfounded. He was young at the time, and he had many friends, thousands of friends, and he thought everybody had friends. Even though Dr. Van Hoos said that these friendships are basically relationships of unconditional love, he said he was still shocked. He was just as shocked as he could be. And then 
Be a friend. We need a friend. Be a friend. A friend is present. A friend is really present in body, mind, and spirit. Several years ago, a man said his job required him to fly all over the country. And on one occasion, he had to go down to Hawaii. He had to make a presentation before a client down in Hawaii. Well, he made the presentation and he came back the next day. And someone asked him, why didn't you stay a few days down there in paradise and enjoy yourself? He said, no, I had to come back because my daughter had an event and I wanted to go with her. And then he said something very profound. He said, my philosophy is you must be present in order to win. You must be present in order to win. Though I haven't always made the occasion, I agree with that 100%. You must be present in order to win. Be present with those you love and are closest to, to you, and that makes a profound strength in your relationship. Be present with those you love. You probably remember with me a couple of weeks ago, there was a professional golfer by the name of Hunter Mahan. Hunter Mahan was leading the Canadian Open Golf Tournament by two strokes at the halfway point. The winner's prize was over a million dollars. But while he was practicing on the tee before his third round, he received a telephone call. They told him that his wife, who was expecting a child, it was supposed to be due in about three weeks, was already in labor. Hunter Mahan quickly withdrew from the tournament. He jumped on an airplane and flew to be with his family. That's what I'm talking about, being present. Must be present in order to win. Being present had to strengthen his relationship and his marriage and with all his family. What a great witness for all of us. And then a friend allows you to be yourself. You know, we don't have to tell a friend why we do what we do. If that person's a real friend, we just do it. You remember the biblical story of David and Jonathan? It is said that David fell to the ground. And then it said that Jonathan joined David on the ground and they cried together until David rose again. Until David rose again. Charles Kingsley was once asked, what is the secret of his success? You know how he answered? He said, I had a friend. What he was saying was, I had a friend who believed in me. I had a friend who believed in me. And then a friend offers his or her help. Do you remember the movie, Rudy? You remember Rudy had a dream. His family thought it was a pipe dream, and so did a lot of other people. His dream was to go to Notre Dame and to play football for the Fighting Irish. That was his dream. As I said, his family and most of the other people thought it was a pipe dream. It would never happen. But one day in a moving part of that movie, one of his friends, probably his only friend, his friend gave him a jacket that had Notre Dame written on it. You see, a friend offers help. A friend always offers help. And then a friend brings out the best in us. A friend brings out the best in us. Henry Ford was asked, who is your best friend? Henry Ford said, a person's best friend is the one who brings out his or her best. A person's best friend is the one who brings out his or her best. We need each other. I want you to listen to this. This is sad. It's called keeping friendship alive. Around the corner, I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and weeks go on. Before I know, a year is gone. And I never see my old friend's face, for life is a swift and terrible race. He knows I like him just as well as in the days when I rang the bell. And he rang mine, we were younger then, and now we are busy, tired men. Tired of playing a foolish game, tired of trying to make a name, 
Tomorrow, I say, I'll call on Jim just to show that I'm thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes. Distance between us grows and grows around the corner yet miles away. Here's a telegram, sir. Jim died today. And that's what we get and deserve in the end around the corner a vanished friend. We need each other. We need each other. And then secondly, why we need each other. The example of a strong, happy relationship. Like all of us, the Apostle Paul needed friends. No question about that. While we know a lot about Paul, we don't know a whole lot about his friends. But we do know about one of his friends. This friend's name was Timothy. Probably Timothy was the one that Paul wrote more about in the New Testament than any other friend. And those scripture passages I read were about Paul and Timothy. Listen again, if you will, in Acts. We read that Paul and Timothy were traveling companions on their mission. They traveled together as companions. In Philippians, we read where Paul and Timothy had kindred spirits. They had kindred spirits. What that means in Greek is same soul. They were like-minded. They were like-minded. Now, Paul is in under house arrest, and he can't go to the Philippians, so he sends Timothy to them. But he's perfectly fine with that because he's so close to Timothy that when he sends Timothy, he feels like he himself is going. Timothy is so concerned with the interest of Christ as he is concerned with the interest of Christ. So he feels good about Timothy going in his place. Now, for a few minutes, I want us to talk about the importance of that friendship between Paul and Timothy. Each one of them would not have been complete without the friendship of the other. And if you get right down to it, beloved, I'm talking about the friendship between age and youth. Age and youth. This is the friendship of Paul and Timothy. So let me ask a few questions. So what can young Timothy gain from a friendship with Paul? First of all, experience. And let me tell you something, experience is no small thing. If Timothy would take the time to listen to Paul, he would save himself a lot of wasted time later on. Now, experience is not infallible, but experience offers a lot of hope and help and truth to people who pay attention to it. Why not seek the accumulated wisdom of Paul in terms of Timothy? Why not seek the accumulated wisdom of age and experience if you are a young person? I know when I was a young minister, I would ask a lot of people for advice, especially a group of people that I came to really love and admire, several bishops, Bishop Jones, Bevel Jones, Joel McDavid, Ernest Fitzgerald, John Hart, and then my good friend Randall Williamson. I asked all of these people for advice, and they were so generous and kind in their giving me advice and made a profound difference in my life. And then steadiness. Here's another thing youth can gain from age, steadiness. One thing about Timothy, I'm sure he would get upset when things didn't always go as he had planned. I remember that Paul would offer poise and grace and kindness, even though he had somewhat of a temper as well. Nevertheless, he had more poise and grace, and Timothy could learn from Paul. Mark Twain said that he was absolutely astounded. When he was 14 years of age, he thought his father was the dumbest man he had ever seen. He didn't even want to be around him, but he said by the time he had reached 21, he was amazed at how wise his father had become in those seven years. 
So steadiness is another thing that youth can gain from the aged. Now, I want us to take a look at what Paul can learn from Timothy. What can Paul learn from Timothy? What can age learn from youth? First of all, a zest for life. A zest for life and a challenge for life. I remember this story of a man who went to see his pastor and he said, I wonder if you could help me with my son. He's 10 years old and he lies all the time even when it's easy to tell the truth. The pastor said, well, he would do his best. Well, on the way over there to see the little boy, he got to thinking, what can I do to help this little boy realize that lying is wrong? And he said, oh, I know what I'd do. I'll just tell him the biggest lie I can think of, and this little boy will realize it's wrong, and he won't lie anymore. So after the minister got to the house and the little boy sat down with him, the minister said, son, on the way over here today, I saw a little fifey dog about this high. He just attacked this eight-foot grizzly bear. He ripped him apart bone by bone, and when he finished, there was nothing left but a greasy spot. He turned to the little boy and said, Son, do you believe that? The little son, Yes, sir, that was my dog. I think you would have to say it's the challenge and the excitement of the youth that would have influenced the older man. One of the real problems of age is timidity. The older people get, quite often, the more timid they become. Sometimes we get to the place where the spirit of adventure is dead. Things that used to challenge us and make us excited no longer challenge us anymore. If that's the case, and we suddenly start looking out for security and comfort more than anything else, we better watch out because age is creeping up on us. A man described a flight he took to Houston, from Houston from Atlanta. He said when he got on the flight, there was a fellow, an older fellow, sitting across from him, and this fellow was very nervous about the flight. It was evidently his first plane flight. He said when the plane went up, it got into some turbulence, and this fellow had beads of perspiration on his face, and he would turn and shake his head. And then when the plane would hit the pocket and go up and down, this man just finally said, the sooner I get off this thing, the better. Well, they landed safely in New Orleans, and when this older man got off, a little eight-year-old girl got on in his place. She sat in his seat. She was so full of anticipation. She was excited. When the plane was bouncing around up there, she was just having a big time. And when it would drop and come back up, she would say, we, that's what we need to learn from young people. Those of us who are older, we need to learn from young people at their best. Another thing we older people need to learn from younger people and Timothy from Paul and Paul from Timothy is idealism. Idealism. One of the important issues of life is cynicism. Sometimes when we grow older, we become discouraged and disillusioned and cynical and cynical. Our idealism dies. When that happens, we need a strong dose of the companionship of a good young person. Some time ago, one of my grandsons went to a, an academy, and at the academy, these people were teaching life skills. Well, three weeks later, I went to the recognition service when they recognized these young people for all that they had done. The thing that impressed me so much was the essays of the 12th grade students. These essays, essays were about ethics, they were about ideals and ideas, and they absolutely challenged me. And that's what young people can do for us. They can challenge us. And then another thing that the aged can learn from the youth and that Paul can learn from Timothy is an emphasis on the present. You can always tell how old a person is, especially when they start glorifying yesterday in terms of today. And the truth of the matter is, the good old days were not that good anyway. 
So when people talk about them, they're probably getting out on a limb. But for these people, the good people are all dead. The generation has now passed away that was a good generation. This is for people who want to live in the past. You know, the only problem that I can see with the future generation, this younger generation, is that I'm not a part of it. That's the only thing I can see wrong with it. Bishop Wright was an outstanding speaker who would go around the nation speaking and preaching. He spoke at a college, and this is what he said. He said, everything that has been invented that can be invented has been invented. He said, we're living in the twilight of civilization. Later, the college president said, Bishop, I think there are other things to be discovered. Name one, said the bishop. He said, well, someday, I think and I hope and I believe we're going to have people that can put a machine into the air, fly in the air. The bishop said, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. If God had wanted us to fly, he would have given us wings. It just so happened that Bishop Wright had two sons. One of them was Orville and the other was Wilbur, the first two people to ever fly a machine in the sky. So what I'm saying is the friendship of Paul and Timothy is vitally important. The friendship of the age and youth is vitally important. We learn so much from each other. But then there is something else we need to think about here, and that is we need God's friendship. We need God's friendship. One of the greatest ways we fool ourselves is that we think we don't need God's friendship. I can't think of a more foolish thing to think that we don't need God's friendship. Several years ago, a famous Scottish comedian uh, by the name of Lauder was asked to make a talk at the Rotary Club of New Haven, Connecticut. Expected to make a humorous talk, so Harry surprised himself by speaking about the things that make life worthwhile, pleasure, wealth, and fame, all of which he already had when not even mentioned. Just for a few seconds, I want to mention the four highest values that Sir Harry Lauder said are in life, and I want to suggest they're the same with us. He said, purpose, home, friends, and God. Do you know life would almost be worth living if there was only those first three, home, purpose, and friends? If that was all it was, life would almost be worth living. But these things can slip away from us. They're not permanent, and they will. And so that goes back to God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. It is so important to be friends with God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The first Hebrew patriot was Abraham. He is called a friend of God. We're not exactly sure how he earned this designation, but we do think it has something to do with the continuity of his relationship with God. It is absolutely amazing how many altars he built to God along his life's way. Undoubtedly, he spent time with the divine. He took time to be with the holy. What does the psalmist say? Be still and know that I am God. That's what Abraham did. He was very still. He knew that God was God. Now, here's Paul and Timothy. But we can't just speak of Paul and Timothy. We have to add this designation, servants of Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus that holds all things together. It holds Paul and Timothy, age and youth, God and us. It holds all of us together. The great Samuel Johnson was considered a liter literary landmark. He was an essayist, a poet, a biographer, and yet he had many friends. Many people knew him as a friend. And one day in his friendship, he was talking to James Boswell, 
And this is what he said to him. He said, a person, sir, should keep his friendships in good repair. That is especially true of our friendship with the divine. We should keep our divine friendship in good repair. Blessings on you. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for this day and for your presence. We are grateful for friendship, the friends we have with others. More importantly, the friendship we have with you. Help us, O oh God, to grow in all our friendships and truly be a friend to you and to others. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us tonight, and I trust that this service has been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll share this Thursday night, 8 o'clock service with your friends. Have them join us. We'd love to have them. Good night. Blessings. Thou forsake.